0: Brothers and sisters, I now invite you to take your Bibles, and we'll read together from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, verse 7, through chapter 12, verse 8. We're going to read this in connection with what we confess in Lord's Day 16 of the Heidelberg Catechism, where we give attention to the truth that our Lord Jesus died, was buried, and descended into hell. Ecclesiastes 11, beginning verse seven: "Light is sweet and is pleasant for the eye. It is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. And years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in that. Before the sun and the light And the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and when rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. We'll turn now to the New Testament, to the Gospel according to Mark chapter 15. We'll read the verses 33 through 47. Here we read the account of our Lord Jesus' death and burial. Mark 15, beginning verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land, until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani," which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw, the way, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger But I was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph, brought, Joseph bought a linen shroud and, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph's, saw where he was laid. Thus far, our reading of God's holy word. The text of the sermon this afternoon is God's word as we together confess it and summarize it in Lord's Day 16. Lord's Day 16 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Here we confess... Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness why is there added, he descended into hell? In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell." Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, what are you afraid of? What sort of things are you afraid of? When you tell people in North America that you're moving to Australia, one of the things people mention is, well, aren't you worried about the snakes and the spiders that you find in Australia? So people think about all the poisonous animals that we have around us. Many people are afraid of, of poisonous animals, snakes and spiders but also afraid of a lot of other things. Dr. Ed Welch, who's a Christian psychologist and counselor, he says fears, they, they tend to cluster in, in three kinds. First, you might say, is the fear of not having enough money. So what if I, I can't pay for the things I need to pay for? What if I can't provide for my family? What if I lose my home? What if we lose our job? What, what then? What, what are we going to do? The second area of fear might be fear of failure and rejection by people, fear of being exposed as inadequate, being shown to be a fraud, being exposed as a, as a weak sinner, having your, your sins and your shortcomings exposed so that your friends and your family no longer respect you, speak to you, or want to be with you. So that's second fear of rejection. And the third the fear of death. Perhaps this is the, the one that's most formidable in our minds is, is the fear of death. And in this, you would categorize things like fear of snakes and, and planes and, and elevators, fear of getting sick. When you, when you dig down deep in it, it, it's a fear of death. Now, when you're really afraid of something, it can really dominate your thoughts, your thinking. You think about your your job security a lot because you're worried. You think about your relationships. A man who's afraid of rejection, a young man never asks a girl out because he's afraid of rejection. Or or a woman keeps her her relationships at a a superficial level. That way nobody really knows me and, and we'll really get to discover what I'm actually like. It's possible to spend your whole life in slavery to fear. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 that the fear of death is, is like lifelong slavery. Hebrews 2, Christ came to deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, our catechism in Lord's Day 16 is, is dealing with the subject of death, and it almost, as it were, stumbles on it, you might say. We're looking at the work of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and his death, his burial, and his descent into hell. And in that context, we, we learn about death, why Christ died, but also also why you and I, if the Lord doesn't return first, we'll die. Why do we still have to die? What, what's the point? And so I bring to God's word with this theme, Christ's death frees us from the slavery to the fear of death. Christ's death frees us from the slavery to the fear of death. We're going to see, first, the humiliation of death, second, the necessity of death, and finally, freedom from the fear of death. Death was part of our Lord Jesus' humiliation. Last time, when you looked at Lord's Day 15, you gave attention to the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he suffered throughout his whole life, but especially on the cross, our Lord Jesus was crucified in a, a cruel way. He cries out in a loud voice, It is finished. He drank the, the bitter cup of God's wrath against our sin. But his humiliation was not finished, and he also needed to die. Now why? Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? What, what is it about death? What, what happens when a person dies? Well, physically, you would say, when a person dies, their heart stops beating, their lungs stop breathing, the brain activity stops, the physical body is no longer functioning. Now, the body is an amazing masterpiece, the human body. We can run and jump, we can laugh, we can feel, we can cry. The human mind can, can do beautiful art and build soaring buildings and design airplanes, the human body is is a masterpiece made by God. And with death, this masterpiece, as it were, lies in the dirt and begins to decompose. Eventually, all of it will return to soil. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. But that's just what, as it were, happens on the outside. There's, There's more going on. Also, what happens on the inside for people are not just machines, not just physical bodies, but we are, we are body and soul. You have a, a soul. Your soul is, is you. And in this life, your, your soul and your body are inextricably connected together. But when a person dies, what's impossible in life happens. The, the soul and the body, they separate. We read about that in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It says, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. It's also implied in James chapter 2, where we read, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We see that in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he, he gave up his spirit. And so death, physical death, is also the the, the separation of the the body from the soul. In Ecclesiastes chapter twelve, we read a, a description of the process of human death. And it describes the, the the process of of aging as as difficult, actually as evil, hard. It says, "Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the." evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And then it describes this process through these series of metaphors. It says to remember your creator before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. As you can see, that's a reference to to your body, to your arms, becoming weak and, and trembling and becoming bent. It continues, it says, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. So grinders, you, you can think of the, the teeth there where they, they wear out and they're few, and the, and the eyes, as they look through the windows, they, be, they become dim. The eyesight begins to fail. As you get older, you're also... Had have to be more careful about heights, about falling. Falling can be very damaging. We read in verse 5, they are also afraid of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. Apparently an almond tree is white, and so that could be a reference to going gray or having white hair. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, so life is, is precious, like a, like a silver cord and a golden bowl. Water is a, an image in the Bible of life, and, and these things are, are receptacles of water. And when they're, they're broken, it's an image of, of life ending, of death. Then dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. And so, brothers and sisters, all of us, are dying. All of our bodies are wearing out bit by bit. We experience this more clearly as we get older. Our bodies and our minds, they they don't work always as they once did. There's many blessings and, and joys in old age, to be sure, many good things to enjoy from the hand of the Lord. But the Bible doesn't sugarcoat it either there's also things that are hard. And the preacher in Ecclesiastes reminds us that if the Lord doesn't return first, our physical body will stop working and we will die. Our soul will be separated from our body. But the Bible doesn't only speak about physical death, the death of your body, but also about spiritual death. In fact, the Lord in his word also speaks about people who, who physically are alive, but who spiritually are dead. The Apostle Paul writes to the young minister in Ephesus, Timothy, and he describes for himself, describes for him, someone who is who's physically alive, but yet is dead. They, they're living for pleasures. They're living self-indulgently, not living for the Lord. He writes in 1 Timothy 5, but she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Dead, even while alive. To be spiritually dead means to be separated from God, not to be connected to the God of life. God who is the source of our, our physical and our spiritual life, God who gives life and breath and everything else, it's only by his power that we have spiritual life. The apostle writes to the Ephesians, and he says, and you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So you walked. You, you lived and breathed. You lived your life, but, but you're dead without God. Now, if, you're, if your phone's unplugged and your battery runs out, you say, yeah, my, my phone's dead. It's not connected to the, the source of power. So Spiritually disconnected from God, we are dead. Only in communion with God do we really live spiritually. In the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve that they were not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said, on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. But they had believed the lie of Satan, you will not die. And so they, they became disconnected from God, and, and, and you'd say plugged in then to the devil. They, they moved on to his side, the devil who was the murderer from the beginning. And death entered their lives. Their bodies began to die. Death is not natural. Death is God's punishment for sin. Even those who don't know God recognize and understand that death is ugly and painful. They have a sense that, that this is not the way it's supposed to be, that this is not, not right. Death. All cultures grieve it. But God in his grace made a rescue plan for Adam and Eve. They would be disconnected from the devil and he would rescue them so that they could live. This brings me to the second point. We've seen the humiliation of death as the Bible describes it to us. And now we're going to see the necessity of death. We're going to look at this from two different angles. First, the necessity of Christ's death. And then the necessity of everyone else's death, of people's death. Our Lord Jesus physically died. We read about that in Mark. His body stopped working, shut down. The Holy Spirit in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, made sure that we understand this. We read, for example, that, that the Lord Jesus cried out in a loud voice and breathed his last. We read that he was stabbed with a spear and then his bodily fluids spilled out. Around the cross, there were, there were many people who were watching who could see this. Also, the, the centurion is explicitly asked by Pilate, is he dead? And the centurion says, yes. He's dead. Joseph and Nicodemus they, they take his body, they're handling it, and they, they wrap it and lay it in a tomb. So those throughout history who have who tried to suggest that actually that actually Jesus didn't die but was just unconscious or in a in a coma, that doesn't work. The the testimony of scripture is so clear that no Jesus really died. His burial testifies that he really died. Now, why is it so important? Why was it so necessary? Well, that was because satisfaction for our sins could only be made by the death of the Son of God. Death is the the fair and just penalty for sin. That's what the Lord said. And so, to be just, that was the punishment that was needed to save us. Jesus did not deserve to die. He himself had committed no sin. But God laid upon him the the guilt for our sin— God made him who had no sin to be sin. And so Christ's death was our death. He dies for us. Now Christ suffered, of course, that, that physical death, but Christ also suffered spiritually on the cross. On the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that time, he, he bore the infinite wrath of God for our sins, that, that eternal sin punishment that we would deserve, was laid upon him. That's why Jesus needed to die. And he did it willingly. That's a remarkable thing about what we read from Mark. The death of the Lord Jesus was different than the death of anyone else, in the sense that the Lord Jesus gave up his spirit. He was active. When Joseph of Arimathea comes to, to Pilate, Pilate's actually amazed you know that he's, he's dead already. The Lord Jesus had, had drank the cup of God's wrath. He had finished paying the price, and so he, he gave up his spirit. It wasn't as though his, his life ran out, his strength ran out, and he, and he died. No, the Lord Jesus gave up his spirit. Crucifixion was a a slow, cruel, and painful death. But our Lord Jesus suffered that for us. That's why he needed to die. What about everybody else? Why does anyone else then need to die? Well, there's two answers to that question. Every day, millions of people around the world die. Every hour of the day, you might say, someone is passing away. But if a person does not believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, their death is because of their sin. It's a punishment for their sin. They're receiving the the just sentence that the Lord proclaimed many years before in the Garden of Eden. Death isn't natural. No, death is an act of punishment from God. And so death is, therefore, something rightly to be afraid of. In this life, people experience the the beauty of rain and the beauty of sunshine, laughter, friends. There's so many good and beautiful gifts that are enjoyed in the world today. But in hell, that's all gone. Cut off from God only darkness and pain and fear, terror. The Bible speaks of it as a second death. Revelation 21 says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So to be eternally separated from all that's beautiful and good, to be in in constant pain, in the gnashing of one's teeth, to be in, in the darkness and fear of hell forever. What a terrifying thought. For an unrepentant sinner, consider the future. No amount of pleasure today, no amount of pride, no amount of saving face is worth that. Who can imagine the the depth of the misery of a soul in hell for centuries, only to know that it'll never, ever end? Today, if you hear God's Word, do not harden your heart. Today, the gospel comes with a call to repent and believe and to find life. And so that's why the good news is, is so, such a relief, such a comfort. Listen to the words of your Savior. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Notice our Lord says, truly, truly, absolutely, you can count on this. You need to understand this. By faith, we're united in Christ, and he gives us life. You've passed from from death to life. And so our catechism can say that in, in my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. That's the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can believe that. We can understand the reality of, of how horrid, horrible hell is. But yet, be comforted and know that Christ has taken it for us. Then our catechism asks an important second question. Well, why do we still need to die? We've seen why Christ needs to die. We've seen why an unbeliever needs to die as a punishment for sin. But what about a believer? It's a very logical question. Christ died as our substitute, so if he died for us, well, why Why would we still die? And the answer is simple, that our death is not a punishment for our sins. It's not a punishment. No, it's, there's, no there's no punishment left. Christ has taken that punishment upon himself, And so the death for the believer becomes a doorway to everlasting life. You might say moving from from one room of God's world to another room. Death actually puts an end to sin. Death and all the difficulty that comes with it is not part of God's punishment, but it's part of what God uses for our sanctification and our glorification. Now, death is still... We know the last enemy, death is still hard and and traumatic. We, we saw that clearly from the book of Ecclesiastes. It separates us from people we love. It causes so much grief. But we can face this death by faith. We know that the Lord uses it for our good. And through death, we're... We're separated from our sins and brought to God. Now, Sometimes if is struggling from a, a serious illness, we'll say that they, they battled the disease and then the Lord brought them home. And now they're, they're free from that struggle, free from that suffering. But there's a way in which that's true for each one of us. Each one of us through our life is battling our sins. And when we die and go to be with the Lord, you're, you're no longer going to have to, to fight against your sins. You're no longer going to have to struggle against your, your tongue, which often causes you so much, so much trouble. You're no longer having to have to struggle against your your lusts, which you know are, are sinful and displeasing to the Lord. You're no longer going to have to fight against your selfishness. You're no longer going to have to struggle with broken relationships. You're no longer going to have to grieve because of all the hurt and misery that our sin causes. The struggle will be done. And so the Apostle Paul says that actually he he can look forward to that. Actually, death is, is, in this sense, gain. Philippians 1 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh... That will mean fruitful labor for me, yet yeah, which, which I shall choose I cannot tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He says it's better, better by far, to depart and be with Christ. We know that, that death can't separate us from the love of Christ. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, has everlasting life. That's that's a present tense, right? He has it already now, already has eternal life. We're permanently connected to him, and nothing could ever change that. Nothing could separate us from the love of Christ. Jesus says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? you believe this? When we're connected to Christ by faith, that changes everything. It also changes how we live our life today, and that's the, the third point. We've seen the humiliation of death, but also the necessity of death, both for Christ and now for us, and finally, freedom from fear of death. Our catechism asks about, about today as well. It says, what further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? And the answer is, through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. And so it's talking about something that changes and is changing already today in your life. The Apostle Paul explains this to the Romans in chapter 6. He says, you're, you're to count yourselves dead to sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. Sin doesn't have the, the final say. It's not in control of our lives. We're connected to Christ, and we live by His power. Now, that doesn't mean the, the struggle is over. No, it means the struggle against sin can begin. We can begin to live a new life. And what does this look like? What does it, what does it mean? Well, it's not a, a drab and, and colorless life. But it's the path to joy. We, we read about that in Ecclesiastes as well. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. He's saying, be happy. Enjoy the good life that the Lord has given you. Rejoice. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. The life that the Lord gives to his children is one to enjoy and to serve him with. Out of thankfulness. And thankfulness is never bitter or dull. He says, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Put away vexation. He says, you can be happy. You can be cheerful. You have, you have God's blessings and grace. Now, this doesn't mean that you can live in a, a sinful way and live for your, your sinful pleasures. No, those things in the end don't really bring any joy anyways. Instead, they bring misery and instability and sadness into our lives when we live in a a sinful way. No, he says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. I let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So Christ died for our sins. Why would we want to live in them any longer? We're, we're connected to Christ. We, we're plugged into him. We live by his power. So we can't live as slaves to our sin anymore. The world says you, you get as much out of life as you can. You you try to, to suck it dry. You you get what you can for yourself. When you're young or, or when you're retired, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And so there's a lot of fear and a lot of fear in our world. Fear of failure and rejection. Fear of not having enough. Fear of death. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to hear the gospel again and again, that you live under his blessing and power, that, that the punishment for your sin has, has been taken away, that it's done, that you can enjoy the, the work and the calling that the Lord gives you this week. Oh, there are going to be difficult days. Death is a real enemy, but the gospel puts this in a whole new light. And so we don't need to fear the future. If you want to think about the future, you need to, you need to keep going and, and think further. Think to think to the end. Think to this way the story ends when you're welcomed into heaven for eternity. Think of everlasting life where there's no more sin or sorrow or tears. Instead there's life eternal and joy. Amen.